book of John, the gospel of John, lets us know that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of the whole book, is John's writing so that his audience and we, in turn, would know that Jesus is the Son of God. And throughout this book, John is showing exactly who Jesus is beginning with John 1, 1, and all the way up to where we are today, that there is no denying that Jesus is the Son of God. This passage that we're in today, and even this chapter itself, has shown how we are not much different than the people of that day. Gospel preaching that fails to convey God's word accurately and to command obedience falls short of the biblical standard. Both John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2, and Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 charged their audience to act on the truth they were given, exhorting them to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then demonstrate the fruit of that repentance. In the next few moments, we just want to share with you on two points, the reaction of the false disciples, and then we want to talk to you about the reaction of the disciples. The reaction of the false disciples. All of this comes on the backdrop of what Jesus said in John chapter 6. It goes all the way back to when Jesus began, when they asked him the question, after he had fed the 5,000 bread, and then we say it was probably more than just 5,000. If you add women and children, it could have been anywhere from 15 to 20-some. But on the backdrop, they asked him some questions. And this is what, a couple of things I just want to highlight going back a little bit. He said, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Remember, Jesus just performed the miracle. And they now ask him, wait a minute, how can we believe? By what sign or what work can we now believe in you? You would think it would have been enough that they just saw him feed 5,000 people. That would have been enough, but they wanted more. And really what Jesus is going to tell them and really he's telling us is, it's better to not have seen and believed, let alone to see and then believe. See, many of us need to see the sign. We need to see something being done before we actually believe. But Jesus is saying, wait a minute, really, I want you to believe first. And then if there is a sign, then you can believe. But he even goes further than that. I'm not going to get to that, but in a few moments, I will explain that even further. So they were asking for a sign. Verse 35 of John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, and this is what they really had a problem understanding. Jesus says, after they had just eaten bread and some fish, he says, by the way, even though I satisfy you with physical bread, I need to tell you something. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That ties into what we're saying even here in John 6, 60-71. When he said, I am the bread of life, many of them had a hard time dealing with that expression. Drop on further down, verse 40. Jesus goes further and says, But this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son 
and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. The purpose of the book of John, I am the son of God. Jesus just now said, I am the bread of life. Then he tells him here in verse 40, look, whoever, everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Nobody can do that but Jesus. What's the result? The Jews, in verse 41, they grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. The fact that he would say that he came down from heaven and that he is the bread of life, many of the Jews grumbled, murmured, talked under their breath. I said last week, and I say again this week, no, we don't have anybody in here that's grumbling and mumbling and talking under their breath. I just know by looking out into this audience that you're receiving this with gladness of heart and mind. Amen. Amen. Everybody. Jesus goes on further in verse 43. No one can come to me unless the Father has sit, who sent me draws him. Guess what he says here. You and I just don't come to Jesus. We have to be drawn by the Father. And he says, as a result, I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. There's a hearing and a learning. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It takes the preaching of the word of God that causes us to come to God. You got to hear it, and then upon hearing, the Holy Spirit acts upon us. And then after we have heard the word, and the Holy Spirit acts upon us, then we can learn the word. The biggest denomination in churches is not Baptist, it's not Presbyterian, it's not Methodist, it's not all these other groups. The biggest group, I think, of, of, of Christians is the ignorant brethren. Because we don't want to learn what God says from his word. Look at Jesus. When he faced temptation, what did he do? Every time he was tempted, he didn't say, I'm going to fight the devil on my own. What did he do? He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. That proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, you have, and I have to know the word, the book, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Amen. Amen? And it's more than Sunday morning worship. It's more than Wednesday night Bible and prayer service. It's more than Sunday school. It's you individually on your own, in your house, wherever, taking time to actually not just read the word, but study the word so that when all these folks come knocking at your at my door, and can I talk to you a second? You'll have a good defense and be able to answer them correctly and biblically and challenge them. But what happens to most of us is we hide, we get real quiet, we tell everybody don't make any noise because we know who they are, those certain groups that come knocking on our door, and we just hope and pray they go away. Amen? When sometimes what we ought to do is say, come on in. I know you got the script. I know you got the things all lined out that you want to say. 
And as they start to, you know, you know uh, we believe that Jesus is a God. Well, wait a minute, hold it. I got a problem. What's the problem? Jesus is not a God. He is the God. And there's a difference between A and the. The is a definite article. There's only one. Not one of many. One. And as they start going down through their, their little discourse, you could say, well, wait a minute, I got another problem. I got another problem. And by the time they get, either, either you'll frustrate them or they'll say, you know what? I need to go back and check out what I've been taught because I've never been taught this before. That's what we need to do. Have to have a hearing and we have to have a learning. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Are you a believer today? If you are a believer today, you have eternal life. Amen. Amen. A life of another kind. A life that transforms and changes who we are. Eternal life is not just, I get to live forever. Eternal life is, I get to live forever. But also, there's a change in my life that causes me now to see things from God's perspective, not my own. And that's what Jesus says. I, if you believe, you got it. You got it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything for it. Upon your profession of faith, confession of your sins, repentance, the moment you do that, you inherit, you receive eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't have to do anything. It's nothing for you to do. It's all what God through Christ has already done for us. Amen? Amen. Somebody says, oh, wait a minute. Are you telling me all I got to do is believe and I got it? All you got to do is believe and you got it. Jesus says, if you believe, you have eternal life. Verse 31 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Eat of Jesus. And he goes on down through there. And when he starts talking about eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and my flesh, my blood, and they got all mixed up because they thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why we get to verse 60. They said, of all that you have just said about you are the bread of life, we have eternal life. If we believe in the Son, we have life everlasting. All those things, by the time we get to verse 60, it says when his Many of his disciples, notice, many of his disciples, when they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. We can't handle this. I mean, you have told us that you are the bread of life. You've told us that we have eternal life in the Son. You've told us that if we come to you, we don't come on our own. The Father has to call us, and upon the Father calling us, we go to the Son. Of all that, you even said, if we eat of your flesh and drink of your blood, all that, guess, I, I can't handle it. This is a hard, uh, I can't wrap my mind around all this. Many of the disciples, so they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can even hear it? You know something, when, when the word of God is really being preached and taught and taught right, it is a hard saying, and many people go out the door. It's easy. It's easy to preach a message that will compromise with people's lives. It's easy to have a church service where everything is all about the music and all about all the hype. We got the flashing lights. We got the, the smoke coming through the sanctuary. It's like going to a, a, a concert. I mean, we can do all that. And people's emotions are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't know anything. So that when the hard knocks of life come knocking at our door, we have no substance by which we can claim hold to. What we have is, a lot of feel-good moments and with no substance behind it says, wait a minute, I may feel good today, right now, but in about 10 minutes from now, I might feel lousy 
Why is that so prevalent? You can feel good now. And before we get over to the place at 1 o'clock, depending on what happens in your life and my life, depending on what somebody says or doesn't say or does or doesn't do, our whole countenance, our whole spirit can change. I was going to title this message. I said, if I say this, will they really think I'm really being sacrilegious? I was going to title this, How Do You Like Me Now? That's what that, uh, do you want to see my notes? That's what's right here at the top. I didn't say it till now. But that's what I wrote down. How do you like me now? So basically, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, I've been speaking to you the truth, and guess what? Now you're telling me it's a hard saying? Look what else he, he talks about here in terms of when we talk about the reaction of false disciples. He says, but Jesus, knowing in himself his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended at what I just said? Why? Because Jesus knew, knows the hearts and minds of the people. Earlier in John, I think around chapter 2, he was in the same situation. People were getting ready to set him up. People were, were grumbling against him. And because Jesus knew what was on the inside, their hearts and their minds, he said, you know what? I'm going to stop right here because they don't want to hear this. Not at this time. In this John chapter 6, 60 through 71, is Jesus' last time being in the, in the Galilean area, the Judea area. Change water into wine. Healed the nobleman's son. Dealt with the woman at the well. All these things happened from 1 to 6, and now we get to John 6, 60, and he fed 5,000 and plus, and they still did not believe. That's a sad indictment, not just on them, but that's also an indictment on us. Because with all that God has done for us, you would think we would be more on fire for him. With all the trouble that's in this room at this present time and how God has delivered and brought us out of, we ought to be the most excited. Our hands ought to be up in the air. We ought to be jumping up and down saying, thank you. Because in spite of all my trouble, in spite of all my pain, in spite of all my disappointment in life, God, you've been so good to me. You blessed me when I did not even deserve it. You made a way out of no way. When I didn't know how I was going to make it to school and I didn't know where the money was going to come from, somehow, some way, God, you stepped in right on time. When I was in the hospital and the doctor said, we don't know. We have no clue what's going to happen. You may not live six months from now. But guess what? Somehow God stepped in right on time. We've got pain. We've got heartache. We've got all kinds. And yet, God's been. God's been. God's been so good to us. So don't look at these people here and say, wait a minute, are they really crazy? I mean, Jesus did all these miracles. He's done a miracle in your life. The fact that you woke up this morning is a miracle of God. Amen? He says here, it is the Spirit who gives life. Maybe the reason why we don't have life is we got no spirit. And I ain't talking about spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Because where there is God, where there is the Spirit of God, there's always life. My pastor used to say to us, 
anything dead ought to be buried. Amen? Maybe some of us need to be buried to be brought back again because we don't have the Spirit of God in our life. That's why we're not excited about the things of God. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Your flesh, my flesh, are, is not conducive for spiritual things. I take, I take a lot of knocks here at the church, here at the community, some of my fellow preaching brothers, because I really believe the Word of God. I really stand on what the Bible says. And sometimes it goes contrary to what we think and how we feel. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. That if you're genuinely saved, repent of your sins, confess Christ as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit has worked on you to cause you to come down the aisle, because you cannot decide on your own, I've decided to make Jesus my choice. You don't have that capability. You need the Spirit of God in you to cause you to see that you're a sinner and that you need Christ before you even walk down the aisle. And then after you get here, then I say you got the eternal security of the believer, because you can't have your salvation now and lose it two minutes from now. What Christ does and has done and is doing is a once and for all transaction. I have been saved. I am being saved. And one day I ultimately will be saved from all of this mess. But one thing is for sure. I do not worry. I don't go to bed at night fearing that if I haven't done everything right, right, dot every I and cross every T. I don't go to bed at night thinking to myself, oh, my God, if I die tonight, I'm going to hell. No. He did it once. Once and for all, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, once and for all. It's a one-time transaction. Now, my, my position is secure, not in Byron, but in Jesus. My position, ah, ah, that's the difference. My position, my day-to-day practice. That's why when the Bible talks about we walk, we're on this pilgrim journey. Have you ever, th- have you ever thought to yourself, you need to, I do. I know you all don't think like I do, so that's okay. I understand. I'm messed up. Some days, if I take a shower or bath in the morning, and I think to myself, you know, I'm really not that dirty. I really didn't sweat. I stayed in the air conditioning. I didn't really go outside. I mean, I wasn't doing anything physical. I I don't remember like I am right now. I'm sweating. Uh, no, I don't, you know, I don't think I need to take a, another shower or bath. I'm good. You ever think that just being in the house, as you walk around, you pick up D-I-R-T. The natural oils in your body come out, whether you exercise or walk or whatever. It is in our spiritual life, some of us think, I really don't do anything wrong. I'm okay. But you would be surprised with the washing of the water, the regenerating power of the Word of God, how much dirt comes off of us when we think, I'm all right. I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I haven't given anybody one of those glorified fingers or unglorified fingers. I didn't snap at anybody today. I'm all right. Really? You know, the Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Because 
They don't take much to set us off. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> She's not here so I can talk about this. Don't y'all run back out and tell her either. Get up this morning. I was here about 530. Looking at some stuff. So I get left about a little before 9. I said, well, because usually I get here before 9. But I said, it's probably a little, maybe 9.15. Long story short, wife was getting ready. She had to cook some stuff for the thing this afternoon. And so she's messing around and. I go sit in the van, and I turn on the van. I'm sitting there waiting for the van to cool off, I figure. And the selfishness of myself, I wasn't thinking about, well, she's got to carry out this macaroni and cheese. She's got something for somebody that's here today. She's got her books, her purse, and all this other stuff. So I'm sitting in the car, and, she, and ladies, this is my fault. <laughs> I get the look. She comes out. Open the door. I hit the button. The door goes back. Puts it in. Then she goes back in the house. I'm sitting there thinking, what a heel you are. What kind of husband are you? So I jump out of the car and I go running. I say, you need any help? No. I got it. So we drive from my house to here in total silence. <laughs> I done got myself in the doghouse. And it's right. It's, it's, I rightly deserve it. I will turn and say, yes, ma'am. See how easy it is for us to get in the wrong frame of mind? We're coming to the house of God. God's washed over us from last Lord's Day to this day, and it don't take much for us not to be doing the right thing or somebody not doing whatever, and our whole frame of reference, our whole mind changes. Walk in excited about being here, and then next, because... Oh, he don't want to speak to me? Huh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. He ain't speaking to me. I ain't speaking to him either. Bump him. Where are we at? Where are we? We're in God's house. We're coming to God's house, and this is the attitude we have? So that when the pastor stands up and says, come on, everybody, let's praise the Lord. Let's come up and stand up and sing to God's praises. Someone's like, you, you go ahead and praise him. I ain't got nothing to praise him about. Amen. Don't take much, church. The false, the reaction of these false disciples, it was not much. With all that Jesus had done, they did not get it. They didn't understand. Verse 66 sums it all up. After what he has just said through this whole chapter, it says many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Not some. Many. These are the same people that were enjoying the bread and the fish. These are the same people that got in a boat and went to the other side because they said, wait a minute, where did Jesus go? How did you get over here, Jesus? We didn't see you get in a boat. You sent your disciples, weren't you? Those are the same people. All this mass crowd of people followed him because they wanted what they could get from him. Amen? They wanted what he was able to give. So they said, this is a hard saying. We're out. How many people do that to the church? Pastor, you, you, you. We could have more members if you would just relax off of some stuff. 
you too hard. You actually want people here. Well, yes, I do. Not because of me. It's because of what the Bible says. To the best of your ability. And, 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 and the problem with us is we go to the exception. Well, Pastor, suppose you have to work. I get that. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those of us who can be here, should be here, and just don't come. If you got to work or an emergency situation comes up, that's understandable. Don't use that as an excuse for when you wake up and know you can't be here and you say to yourself, oh, I can't go today. Man, I'm tired. I, you know, I, I was out there all night last night and I was out there yesterday afternoon doing this and doing that. Well, they'll understand. Jesus, they all understand. No, Jesus don't understand. Suppose he would have said, he, oh, they'll understand if I don't go to the cross. They'll understand if I didn't die for their sins. Oh, Father, I, really, I, I don't have to do it. I'm the son of God. Why should I lay down my life for these people out here to be saved? Are you kidding me? I don't feel like, I, I, I'm not feeling it today. Suppose he did, suppose he does us like we do him. We'd be in such sad shape. Amen. They turned their back and no longer walk with him. He's just like, uh, no, we're out. We're done. Somebody has said they wanted what Jesus would not give and what he offered they would not receive. I'll read that again. What they wanted, Jesus would not give. He wouldn't give them the satisfaction of just feeding their bellies and stomachs. Hmm, there's more than that. And what he did, what he offered, they didn't want. They would not receive. What was he offering? Eternal life. Life everlasting. That's not what they wanted. See, here's the thing I read it this week. Here's our problem. We think that coming to Jesus is about this. If I'm lonely, Jesus will be like my mother and my father. If I'm sick, he'll be the doctor that has never lost a case. If I'm homeless, Jesus will be that shelter that will be able to help me to get to where I need to be. If I'm hungry, Jesus will be able to feed me. If I'm poor, he'll be able to give me a job so I can make a living. That's how we approach it. No, that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not that you're homeless. It's not that you got illness in your family or in your body or you need a job and all these other things. Your husband and wives don't get That's not your biggest problem. That's not why Jesus came to help us with. Our biggest problem was sin. Sin is what separated us from God. That's why he came. You, you shall call his name what? Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. It's not about your condition. It's not about your station. It's about where you are. You and I were sinners in need of a Savior. Now, he'll take care of all that other stuff. But the main reason you need Jesus in your life is to save you from your sin. For if you're not saved from your sin, you face an eternity in hell. And hell is a real place prepared for real people. As well as heaven is a real place prepared for real people. Amen. Amen. Reaction of the disciples. The reaction of the disciples. All right. What does that mean? Well, many turned, many turned away. So Jesus says to the 12, those that he had called, those 12 men, Andrew, Simon, Peter, James, John, Judas, all those guys. He watches, he, you know, it's a hard thing to watch people who you think are with you 
walked right out. Jesus thinking, wow, all these people are here. They've been following me. I've had huge crowds. I've had pe- I packed it out. And then he watches many, probably 85, 90 some percent or more walk away. Whoa. That's what you really think of me? You think that what I've been saying is hard? I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly? And this is what you think of me? See, that's why I don't get it. I'm not impressed about big crowds. Amen? I preached at some churches where there's been a lot of people. And I preached at some churches where there's only like five or six or eight people. Because the word still goes forth. Amen? I don't change me whether all you are here tonight. If there's only four people here, I still preach with the same intensity that I would if the church was packed. But Jesus says, it just looks like the 12 says, what does he say? So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Are you going to leave me? You saw all these people leave? What about you? What about you? Well, you, you and I that question. What about you? What is it that brings you to the house of God? Why are you here? Are you here because people say, this is a great church, you need to be here? Are you here because you want to grow in the word? Are you here because you want to hear the word? Are you here because you want to learn how to have an intimate, close walk with the Savior? Are you here because there's good brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? What is it? Or were you too? When things don't go like you think they should go. When you're not getting the physical bread, the, the, the music, the, the preaching, or whatever. Oh, okay, I'm out. Will you two leave? Oh, we need some Simons. What does Simon Peter say? Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> oh, I love that. To whom shall we go? Uh, let me ask you a question. To whom shall you go? Wait a minute. Are you going to walk out? And if you walk out, where are you going? To whom shall you go? My sister loves LeBron James. Literally loves LeBron James. You see? She literally loves. She's trying to tell us, call LeBron when her little foot was messed up and she was on her little whatever, little crutches and little scooter thing. Y'all should have called LeBron and told him I needed him to come down and, and help me. Well, like, you know what? You need much prayer. <laughs> LeBron is not coming down here because your foot's not well. I'm your brother, and I'm doing good to help you with your foot. So, amen. To whom shall you go? Where are you going to go? You got problems in your life? You got needs in your life? Things aren't working well? Or if they are working well, where is it that, we, where is it that you are going to go? This is what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? Here's his response. You have the words of eternal life. And we have, catch what he says here, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
you ought to highlight that verse for no other reason. There's what he says, to whom shall we go? Put your name, Byron, to whom shall you go? And then say, on the back part of that say, Byron believes. Byron knows that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And catch what he says. We have believed and have come to know. It's based on a past tense of the verb. They have believed something in the past that carries on for the future. In other words, they have one time believed, but that wasn't a one time stop. It's now continuing on. Your faith in Christ is not a one time deal. Whenever you came to Jesus, that's a point in time, but you ought to keep on believing and keep on knowing. As you grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The problem is we may have believed in a time past, but now because of life and circumstances, many of us don't believe like we used to. We doubt. We're fearful. We're looking and going, oh, my God, look what's happening. Listen, the world has always been messed up and always will be messed up. I ain't worried about this election cycle. I don't care. Somebody says, that's terrible to say. No, it's not. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not catch the sweetest right, but holy, lean on Jesus' name. I don't care if Trump, I don't care if Hillary, don't necessarily like neither one of them. But guess what? It's in God's hands. And whomever we get, God takes the king's heart and turns it whithersoever he wills. Trump and Hillary cannot do any more. Our election people cannot do any more. We, the American people who are as fickle as we can get, cannot do any more than what God in his sovereignty will allow. And whomever we get, it's all by the design of God. Amen? Now, I'm going to say this. When you don't have much, and then... Whatever you have is it being taken away from, ain't a big deal. Because you understand how to live without much. But if you had your refrigerator stuck to the gills, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, all I see is the light in the refrigerator. You will have a hard time. But when you had to lean and trust on Jesus, didn't know where your next meal was going to come from, it ain't going to be easy, but God's going to make a way out of no way. He did it with, the, with, the, with Elijah as a prophet, didn't he? Told, that, told the woman, give me your cakes. Now, you know, y'all don't, most of y'all don't like preachers anyway. I come to your house, and I just tell you, guess what? I'll use it in the vernacular. I want that steak, that baked potato, and that salad. Give it to me. And you're going to look at me and go, you're crazy. Are you serious? You're going to walk up in here and tell me give that to you? Who do you think you are? If she would have asked that, she would have canceled out her blessing. But she gave all she had and was able to make it through the famine because God said, guess what? You gave all that you had to the man of God. And because you gave him that, the cruise of oil in the, in the meal kept flowing and flowing and flowing. I would like to have been there just to see what the neighbors thought. Hey, 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 Elizabeth, wait a minute. Why are you doing so well? God's blessed me. God's blessed me. 
Why are you doing so well? God's blessed you. Amen. God's blessed you. People don't understand that. How are you holding your head up when everything says you ought to be holding your head down? How are you able to walk with a smile on your face? God is so good when people can read and know your story and go, of all people, you got no reason to smile. You got no reason to be happy. Yeah, you do. God's been good. Amen. God is good all the time and all the time. God is Thank you. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words. And they said, hey, not only did they believe, but they have come to know. See, you got to know this stuff. The stuff that we talk about on Sunday morning, some of us are so young, we don't get it. Why do they get so excited about this stuff? I don't understand. Pastor talks about Jesus paid it all, and all the him I owe, sin has left his crimson stain. He washed it. But I don't get it. Why is he excited about that? Because I know where I was at. I'm a sinner. And it was the blood of Jesus that paved the way. Amen? You know what I think? And I know. Some of us haven't been through too much. But the old timers had it right. Just live long enough. Just live. Some of you young people and some of you older people, they don't have a clue to what I'm saying. Just live. Let the Lord live you long enough that you have to go through some storms and come out on the other side and understand that the only reason I made it to the other side is because Jesus watched me over to the other side. Don't be like Peter walking on the water. Jesus, you're walking on water. Can I do it? Yeah, come on out here, Peter. Come on, bro. Come on, man. Yeah, I'm walking on water. What happened? He started watching and realized what he was doing. Maybe that's our problem. We see what Jesus is doing in our life and we get scared. We, we start seeing the waves come. Wait a minute. That's water. There's no logical reason I should be able to make it, but I am. Why? Well, I don't know. As long as I got my eyes on Jesus, I'm all right. But the moment I took my eyes off of Jesus, I started to see that's our problem. We take our eyes off of Jesus. The same God that blessed you yesterday is the same God that blessed you today and bless you tomorrow and bless you to the end of the year and Lord willing, 2017 and on and on. He's the same God. He does not change. We change. I come to a close. Jesus answered him. Did I not choose you? He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the call for their apostleship. Remember, he's talking about come follow me. Walking along, there's Simon and them fishing. Hey, you're a fisher of fish? I want to make you fishers of men. No more of those little scaly things you're going to be looking for. I want you to be a fisherman of men. That's what Jesus called us today, be fishers of what? Men. He said, did I not choose you? The 12? First time John identifies who they are. I called you to be the apostles. I called you to be the true disciples. And yet one of you is a devil. Out of 12, one. He didn't say... One of you is going to betray me. He identified him as a devil. You are a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Yep, it was him. It was Judas. He ultimately will betray Jesus. 
all by God's design. I told the Sunday school class, and I close with this for us. Our struggle is man's ability, his free will, his ability to say, I can choose and do versus God's sovereignty. It's really not that big a struggle. Because the way I look at it, God is able to do everything but fail and lie. Judas did not have to go to the full extent that he did, but he did. And because of what he did, the Bible, the Word of God, and now through all eternity, you don't want the name Judas. You know anybody named Judas? Anybody know anybody by the name of Judas? That name is not conducive as a well name. The moment somebody says, hi, my name is Judas, you're going to think about what Judas means. Amen? But I love this because I love this whole passage because Jesus said, listen, I chose you. You didn't choose me. 